Hi, I'm Eric Gurna, Executive Director of Development Without Limits, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. Welcome again to Please Speak Freely. This is Eric Gurna, your host, and I'm here with Jason Yoon and Sarah Meyer of New Urban Arts in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome, Jason and Sarah. Thanks for having us. I'm super happy to be here in Providence um, visiting New Urban Arts for the second time. And um, I think I'll, I'll start off by just telling the, the brief story of how I came to become familiar with you guys. Um, so New Urban Arts is a, is a storefront-based, uh, community-based youth program that um, focuses primarily on the arts, and, and I'd love to hear about you know, how, how you describe what you do. Um, I first came to visit New Urban Arts when I was here, um, we were just saying it was like three years ago now, I think, which is crazy. Yeah, 2009, was yeah. that? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I was here as part of a team that was working um, sort of through multiple subcontracts for the U.S. Department of Education, and we were given the task of finding uh, programs funded by 21st Century Community Learning Centers that serve high school students that have had some success in their work. And uh, we were asked to go and visit those programs and um, document the practices that they have in place that are leading to that success. And uh, so we got to visit programs all over the country, um, about 20 programs altogether, and spend a couple of full days with each program. Um, and New Urban Arts was the second program that I visited. And it was the only program that we visited in the whole, uh, the whole project, which was um, community-based the way yours is. The rest of them, I, th- I think the rest of them were all school-based. There might have been one based in a boys and girls club, now that I'm saying it, but um, it was certainly the only one that was like situated you know, on, as a storefront program where people can walk right in off the street. It's not is in a school. It's not part of a larger institution. It's just here in the community. Um, and, and young people from all different schools participate. And I know you have other funding besides 21st Century, um, but it was real interesting to me that that was a, that was a 21st Century program, and I, and I congratulations on still being funded by 21st Century. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I'd love to hear, and the audience would love to hear, I'm sure, just a little bit to start off about what New Urban Arts, New Urban Arts is, what you do. <laughs> you guys are pointing at each other trying to say who gets to, who gets to give the spiel. So we are a community art studio and gallery for high school students, and local artists in our community volunteer throughout the year to mentor the students in a wide array of art media from you know film and painting to um, we have something we're calling this year integrative digital design. We do screen printing. We have a dark room for photography. Um, and we partner up with these high school students, and, and we call them artist mentors. They volunteer um, to work together, and they collaborate on projects off a script. We don't have a curriculum that they need to follow, and, um, and they just direct their own learning together throughout the year. And how long have you been around? Uh, New Urban Arts was founded in 1997, and mm-hmm. so this is our 15th year, and we're actually celebrating our 15th birthday uh, next Friday at our year-end exhibition. Oh, cool. So okay. we're, we're, we're a teenager. So organizationally, uh-huh. we're, we're in adolescence, and that's something we've been talking about, the parallels of you know, organizational growth and mm-hmm. the awkwardness of organizational growth um, as a youth program that serves teenagers who are also going through awkward you know, 
yeah personal yeah. development and growth so it's an interesting it's an interesting parallel and i think an interesting metaphor for how we think about how we're trying to evolve yeah that's funny i i don't know um I wonder if there are organization years like dog years, you know, because um, 15 years for the kind of uh, program that you are. I mean, I know there's a lot of programs that have been around for, for a lot longer than that, but I feel like you've sort of gotten over some hump somewhere along the way and become a real fixture. Um, you, you moved to a new space not too long ago. Um, you sort of so you've grown a bit. Yeah, we've, um, you know, we had been housed, we've been, this is our second storefront. So when New Urban Arts started, and, and I wasn't, I haven't, so just a little personal history, um, I've been the executive director for four years. Um, mm-hmm. And so one of those major transitions this organization has gone through is um, surviving the, the founder of the organization leaving and moving on. Um, so when New Urban Arts was founded, it was started as a, uh, uh, a project by a couple of Brown and RISD, Rhode Island School of Design College students, um, who wanted to st- start a pilot arts mentoring program. Uh, so with, with a small grant from the Swear Center for Public Service at Brown, um, they rented an attic in a church in, in downtown Providence. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this very small group, I think about eight high school students, maybe four local college students, uh, you know, did past poems, uh, really interesting collaborative participatory projects. Um, the, the co-founders themselves were not you know, professional artists or, you know, kind of even, you know, I think some of them were art majors, but they weren't all art majors. But the, the point was this kind of really wacky creative space in this church attic that they were building together. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tyler Denmi, the, the founder of New Urban Arts, when he, when he graduated from Brown, uh, got an Echoing Green Fellowship, which is a social venture, a social entrepreneurship fellowship program. And so New Urban Arts then moved into a small corner store, a uh, small corner storefront in uh, the West End of Providence and, you know, been occupying that space until about three years ago. And then three years ago, the board of directors and I, and, and kind of as part of our strategic planning process, uh, you know, we're looking for ways to cement ourselves in the neighborhood. So um, we bought a 4,000 square foot commercial storefront half a block away from our, you know, our old storefront. We're uh, three quarters of the way through a, a million dollar capital campaign. Thanks for your, uh, you know, help with that. <laughs> Modest. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're, we're, you know, in all these different ways, we're going through this kind of process of institutionalization. I, the work we do is really informal. Mm-hmm. Um, the mentoring relationships between young people and artists haven't really changed. There, you know, there really isn't um, a lot of direction in how those relationships form or the work that they do is, but the kind of structures that surround it, physically the building and, you know, how we institutionalize, how we train mentors is, you know, has all been formalized. So it's an interesting process. Like, how do you keep a, an art space that's free, that's youth-powered, uh, that's that's informal, but, you know, grow up the organization, the infrastructure surrounding it so that that, that energy can, can remain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just, Sarah, in your introduction to what New Urban Arts is, and, and Jason, you referred to it just now, you referred to something um, that is really at the heart of what you do, and one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, and that's this notion of, of doing this kind of work without a curriculum. Um, there is, I feel like, as after school and youth development as a field has like grown and, and maybe I was going to say progressed, but just developed has grown. Um, there's, I think an assumption often made that quality work with young people is based on a curriculum. And in particular, a, a particular way of approaching that curriculum, um, which is, you know, a lot of people call backwards design or um, sort of the logic model method of, um, you know, create your big goals, come up with um, long-term objectives to reach towards those goals, short-term objectives that, you know, sort of get you towards those long-term objectives and ways to measure whether you're reaching your short-term objectives. And only then do you develop the activities <laughs> that 
you should do in order to reach those those objectives. And then you measure and measure and measure all the way along the way. You know, are you reaching your objectives? Are you making progress towards your objectives? And that all of that gets um, operationalized through a written curriculum. In particular, as you grow and you have many, you know, artist mentors or volunteers or staff working that you need to be able to give, put something in their hands that they can follow in order for you to be successful in your work. And you take a very different approach than that. Yeah, and I think, um, and that doesn't mean that we're not intentional about, I think, the kind of work that happens. And I think, you know, in, in my career, I think that's, a, I guess, a dichotomy that I've struggled with, you know, uh, being influenced by a place like this. Um, you know, the absence of sequential curriculums or step-by-step plans for artist mentors doesn't mean a lack of rigor about the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned backwards planning. And, you know, there's a, you know, Grant Wiggins and the whole, mm-hmm. like, you know, one of the things that, you know, I find so interesting about, you know, Grant Wiggins and that backwards planning concept is the idea of essential questions. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that being the, the kind of content for, for, good, for good curriculum planning. And, that, um, and we, do, you know, we do what we call an art, you know, art inquiry. And I, you know, we, and I think you've, you've, you've seen some of those guides and you know, this inquiry-based approach to building content. And um, you know, it's, 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 really, it's really interesting. And I don't know, Sarah, if you could talk a little bit about you know, art inquiry, that would be, I think, really helpful. Sure. I think to speak freely, though, I'm going to go back to a second. So I hear about families and classrooms and schools and after-school programs who struggle to meaningfully engage high school students. It seems like an age that's critical um, to developing who you are, um, but then adults are like fighting for ways to engage the students as like mm-hmm. active participants. And so our program has like on an average, maybe 35 to 50 students coming into our studio each day, close to 500 enroll in our program throughout the year. And I think we give them the opportunity to um, not worry about what's expected of them in terms of, you know, an objective or the plan or whatever. Mm-hmm. And instead say, here's a space where we want you to invest in other people and we'll invest in you. And um, you can come here and direct your own learning Maybe it's photography one week, and then photography gets you to move to the computers and animate your work the next week. And um, and we have artist mentors who will walk along with you. And and so basically, the idea isn't like the end. The product isn't the goal of the learning, but more the relationship. And so engaging students is like the core of our pedagogy. Not you know having a curriculum because sometimes I think it's. There's, I actually love curriculum. It's like the secret, <laughs> my uh-huh. little secret. Um, I just think it's so fascinating, almost like putting a puzzle together. And then, um, and then you have the thing, and you can't wait to teach it. But it doesn't mean they're into it or that they're listening or it's resonant or, or they're responding to it. And sometimes like if we have a, like a piece of paper and then we go do it, we think we're successful. And at New Urban Arts, in my time here, I think I've been reminded that at the core of really meaningful participation or learning is this idea of like a, a relationship. So our school year program um, is this idea of like we're an open art studio and then we have these artist mentors in, in the room. And then our summer program, we take a different theme each year. Mm-hmm. This year, our theme is mythology. Last year, it was placemaking. Um, and, and the themes that we tackle, like we don't prescribe for students like what mythology or placemaking should look like. Instead, we ask them to spend five weeks together um, in an open-ended exploration. And, and at the root of it, it's just asking good questions and mm-hmm. going from there. Um, 
instead of like, well, today we're going to do this part of mythology and then all the work ends up looking the same. So when you see our (laughs) exhibit, like our placemaking show last year, um, we had, you know, graphic designers and other folks who were thinking about placemaking in this one way, but it became clear in our students' work, placemaking for them, the richest exploration was in this idea of home. A lot of our students had been relocated or... Um, one of our students' house had just been burned in a fire, or they mm-hmm. had all their own stories, mm-hmm. and then that came through in their work. So they were using different media and different subject content um, that they spent the entire summer doing, but it was it was coming from them instead of from like the adult in the room telling them, you know, what placemaking should look like. Mm-hmm. People say even with a curriculum, it's obviously it's the it's the facilitator who matters the, the most. Um, not to say the facilitator matters more than the young people, but in terms of what they're going to, if, if the curriculum is going to come to life, it's going to be from the, from the facilitator. When there is no curriculum, the facilitator maybe even matters even, you know, more. And you yeah. have all kinds of wonderful people coming in here, but they, don't, you know, they have varied experience working with young people. Some might not have any experience working with young people. I don't know. But. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, uh, what's, that, you know like, uh, what's that saying? You know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, right? Yeah. I mean, like, but it doesn't mean planning isn't like, a worthy exercise. I love... I love curriculum planning too, um, but you also have to recognize that you know what gets implemented is never you know it's it's never going to survive that first five minutes I guess in your classroom or yeah. or whatever. Um, and and I think the bigger question, you know, maybe is less about like planning to the minutest detail what you know activities are going to be happening at a place like New Urban Arts, but more um, to what extent are young people invited to construct this learning environment? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know we're very intentional about that. So. Um, you know, right down to, you know, the artist, the artist mentor position. So um, we're really fortunate in that uh, we get, you know, so we get a number of artists that apply to be mentors in our after-school program, the program that runs October to May. Uh, we get about 40 to 50 people applying for really what are about 10 spots. Mm-hmm. Um, these are volunteer positions. Uh, you know, they're giving up a good, you know, 10, 15 hours of their week, maybe uh, two afternoons in the studio, plus participation in a rigorous, like, you know, pre-service and ongoing professional development program. Um, and we subject them to an interview and selection process that's actually led by our students. Um, we, have a, we have a student selection committee that works with Sarah every year. Um, they, and this is something we spend a lot of time on up front. So it's like this, I think this idea of, you know, if you spend time up front um, to invest in building your community or the parameters of your community, it'll save you headaches later. And so we spend a lot of time, our students spend a lot of time, Sarah and our program staff spend a lot of time reading all of these applications from potential artist mentors, um, looking at their artwork, uh, deciding who they want to interview. Um, and they're asking really interesting questions like, you know, is, you know, is, is this person's art form a, a media that we need in the studio? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a new art form that we don't have but might be interesting here? Um, is this a person that we want to spend time with? Um, and is this a person that maybe I don't want to spend time with, but do other young people that aren't like me but come to the studio might want to spend time with too? And it's it's a it's a ringer, you know. The artist mentors, you know, they, I think they they'll they'll at the end of the year talk about that as kind of that trial process that prepares them for the uncertainty of actually being mentors in the studio. And so, um, so that time, so we, you know. By the time you've kind of gone through the ringer of even being so selected to be an artist mentor in the studio before your even first day, um, you've already been through a pretty rigorous selection process. And that, you know, our, our young people have kind of said, we think that person's like a good, 
people person for this place and it is a range of it's a range of artistic experience you know everything we've had artist mentors that are college professors and have you know really big long CVs sure. to kids who are teaching you know an art discipline for the very first time in their thing and they'd consider themselves amateurs at it but the, the one common denominator is that they've been through this process mm-hmm. with our youth and that our our students have said you know what this is someone we think we can you know, it's going to be an interesting fit here. Mm-hmm. Over time, we found that our program isn't just, you know, a service to high school students, but the artist mentors we're working with, like, get as much from this program. Um, you know, they're not just volunteering to be nice to people. I mean, they end up getting a lot out of it in return. Um, and so I think that professional development program um, creates relationships with other like-minded artists that they keep beyond their time at New Urban Arts in the mm-hmm. end. And it's, it's also a... Um kind of a stunning uh, economic model because your your main team is volunteers but you know that they're making such a commitment Um, it's it's really rare that you see that and when I left here last time you know I mean you all know um, my wife is an artist and she runs Art Without Limits and we've done a lot of work in the arts and I live in a town Beacon New York that has a lot of art happenings and a lot of artists there and I left here like oh man is this like is this something that could happen somewhere else um, is this particular to Providence because you got Brown and RISD and this heritage you know of yeah, and that's 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 an interesting I think that's an interesting question because um, you know when New Urban Arts first started it was started by the, the first mentors were largely Brown and RISD students and I think you know maybe you know, if you're looking at the business model 15 years ago, you'd have said, oh, well, here's the clear, like, logical solution. We have all these low-income communities with kids that don't have access to a lot of arts programs and these fabulous, you know, privileged institutions, and there's our labor pool, and that'll kind of, like, fuel this program forever. It's, you know, it's very efficient Mm -hmm. um, allocation of human capital. Um, And what's evolved in the last 15 years is that you know, very actually, very few of our relatively few of our artist mentors are Brown and RISD students. This mm. year, I think um, you know of our twenty-three artist mentors. I mean, maybe two or three are from uh, from each school. And we have a fair amount of graduates from each of those programs that have stuck around Providence or you know have some ties to the institution. But as far as like you know, oh, mining the local colleges for labor, um, that actually hasn't that has that has evolved away. It's evolved away from that, and mm-hmm. and the artist mentors are you know some local college students. Um, a good chunk of them are actually just artists that live and work in the city of Providence, you know, to, you know, emerging artists, professional artists, maybe more established artists um, that are looking to connect with an interesting art space that are in- looking to connect with young people. Um, and then another good chunk of them are youth graduates of our program. I, I think about maybe five to 10, I think how many are seven or this year are, are um, of our artist mentors or student graduates. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- those are the three big buckets. And that's, um, I think that's been a fascinating thing and that that it can, you know, that they're really receiving very, you know, nominal pay is is pretty is pretty amazing. Uh, and, and I don't the, the question of replicability is an interesting one because I've you know, I've, I'm from New York City, um, worked with arts education nonprofits, you know, worked with teaching artists and, you know, know how much they get paid and know what the market rates are in New York and also know how, you know, how hard it is to live as an artist. You know, it's a, you know, sometimes I'll think, you know. It's amazing that we have all these artists um, that contribute to this community to make it happen, um, and are already, you know, you know, struggling themselves to make to make their their ends meet. You know, the way our society treats artists is not, mm-hmm. you know, terribly fair or just either. Um, so, as far as the export exportability of the kind of you know free mentoring model, it's it's an interesting one. I, I'm not I'm not sure to to what extent it is, or whether it's unique to this kind of context, the density of Providence, the high concentration of artists, the uniqueness of our space. All those are interesting parts of the formula that mm-hmm. that are hard to tease out. 
When I first, uh, in, I came like maybe seven or in 2005, I first started directing programs here. And I really believe in, you know, paying educators and artists for their work, you know. So when I was trying to understand um, how, why New Urban Arts was approaching the volunteer aspect of the mentor position, one of the students made it really clear for me. And it's the idea of choice, that the students mm. choose to come to our program, and so do the artist mentors. So mm. it's not like to pay their rent, or um, I think teenagers tend to feel that you know their teachers or other people in their lives um, aren't really choosing to be with them in the same way that our artist mentors are doing. So in like right away you're setting a tone for a relationship that where you don't have to play with being in authority and discipline and all that stuff that feels like work and instead you can just like bring yourself to the place and just you know authentically like just spend time with people mm-hmm. and um and that feels less like a job even though it's work you know i mean people are making a commitment it really does feel like a flat relationship between artists and young people and the non-payment thing is almost part of that you know it's it's less it's less an arts education program where you're hiring teaching artists to provide much needed services to kids in need, you know, which is important work, but actually, you know, an artist collective, you know, that just happens to be made up of some people who are labeled mentors and some people who are labeled mentees. But, you know, it's, it's really just kind of one big wacky, you know, artistic soup where people are kind of making this space together. And that, that's that kind of like unspoken agreement. We're all here because we want to be here. Um, and we're all contributing to this really vital community. And that's actually part of our mission. I mean, if, you know, our, our mission is about building a vital community. And so I think that's a piece of it. And so, um, you know, I, and I got involved with New Urban Arts as, as an artist mentor. And I think that's, that's uh, my connection to the place. I was, a, I was a senior at the Rhode Island School of Design back in 2000 when New Urban Arts was, you know, just a few years old and still a startup. And, you know, I went through this whole process that I watch our artist mentors go through every year. Um, you know, I got involved in the after-school program as one of the after-school mentors. Um, I, I didn't quite understand what the program was about. I thought, you know, I was going to be doing, uh, you know, drawing and painting instruction. And, you know, I would be the kind of art teacher, the, right. the, the you know, the, the hotshot artist that the kids would all look up to. And, <laughs> you know, I would teach all these, like, really, you know, important, valuable skills. And I brought this very kind of, like, RISD, you know, very elite elitist mentality to the work um and so my first couple months i was like leading the kids through these very like structured drawing activities um you know being the kind of professor that i thought like you know you know so like this bad movie right you know the the elbow patches (laughs) you know um and you know it was great you know my students you know came they you know i had great attendance in my mentoring group my students Mm -hmm. were very engaged uh their drawings were coming along very well you know i was kind of like by every kind of those kind of traditional markers that you were talking about i was having i was i was conducting a very successful mentoring group um but the program director who you know before sarah you know you know pulled me aside and said you know jason look i mean she's you're 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 doing you know she's very gentle you're doing a great job teaching these kids all these like great art skills and it's like great that you're being so professional about this um but i think i think you're kind of missing the boat on you know what this place is about you know have you asked your students you know what they're interested in or what they want to do or what kind of projects they'd want to do. Have you, you know, if you ask them any questions that, you know, um, at all, and I, you know, I, I, said, I said no, you know, and, and uh, you know, I said I've been structuring this whole thing for them. And, and she said, well, that's kind of part of the problem. And I, and I pushed back and said, well, they seem to like the structure. They like mm-hmm. that I have a plan for every two hours, that, they, that I'm going to walk them through the activities, that they can kind of like turn their brains off mm-hmm. and just draw what I tell them to draw. Yeah. Um, and then the program director said something that you know, really has stuck with me my entire career and I think gets to the heart of what you know, this kind of practice is about. She said, you know, that's, that's the problem. 
The problem is that they are dependent on you for what those activities are going to be. That's what their school is like. That's what the rest of their education lives are like. This is this has got to be the place where, where, you know, where they're challenged to kind of think for themselves and make you make decisions about what the content that they're going to do is. And your job is to facilitate that and pull that out of them. And that flipped this whole switch for me. You know, I went from being the guy that was supposed to teach them how to shade properly to the person that was supposed to kind of you know, unlock some kind of independent thinking that wasn't happening for them and push them out of that comfort zone. And then the, the joke is, you know, and you know, I talk with some of my old students, they're like, that's when, that's when I stopped knowing what I was doing, <laughs> you know, as the artist mentor. Yeah. But it was such an incredible experience for me. And so, and New Urban Arts back then, for me as a, you know, I mean, you know, I'm an art student at one of the, you know, country's most elite art schools, but it was a place that I was kind of very unhappy, you know, and, and New Urban Arts was the place that I spent a lot of time at. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd do my mentoring hours and then hang out for another two hours because it felt like a more interesting creative space than my own, my own college. And, and it became a community that I wanted to be a part of. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, so that both, both how the place pushed me out of my own kind of, I think, very narrow and parochial thinking about what social justice was. Um, and also just being an art space that I, I needed. And, and I think that's what, even 15 years later is what continues to attract artist mentors to the place, which has been really fascinating to see as like we've gotten bigger and enrolled more kids and mm-hmm. gotten kind of more, you know, more grown up. So you, you just, um, you, su- you surprised me there at the end and you were saying it took you out of your narrow and parochial way of thinking about, and I thought you were going to say what art education is or mm-hmm. what art teaching is or what art is, but you said what social justice is. Where does that fit in for you? I had done these high school programs in, in New York City. You know, the, the Cooper Union has this great outreach program, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I'd been a student in that. And one of the things I remember from high school was how few slots there were for how many kids wanted to sign up. I think we had, like, you know, this is, like, 94, 95. Like, 250 kids from all over New York City with their portfolios waiting, you know, hoping they'd get into, like, this free program, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to get them ready for college. And I remember thinking, that's, that's really unfair. You know, it's really unfair that, that more kids don't have access to the kind of instruction and content that that you know um that they should and uh, and i think you know when i got to RISD, i was like you know i'm going to study art and then i'm going to become this art teacher or i'm going to you know do some kind of like arts kind of access work so that more kids have access to the kind of nice cool like things that that they don't have access to which is which is an injustice don't i mean i don't mean to minimize that and i approached my mentoring in that way and i think my thinking going into this mentoring program was oh i'm going to be the the person that provides all these like inner city kids access to the right. great drawing instruction that right. that right. they're not getting and i'm you know i'm going right. to i'm going to whip them into shape and you know i'm going to you know bring up these little picassos and um <laughs> and you know and that stuff is important you know i mean it is important yeah. there is a real inequity to just access to kind of instruction and knowledge that's that's yeah. very real but but I think what New Urban Arts added to you know what being a mentor here the the dimension it added to me was was it's even more so about the kind of thinking and 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 the kind of habits that 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 certain kids are being denied and that mm-hmm. and that that art education you know that arts participation when done a certain way can really be the trigger for that kind of thinking that flipped a real I was like yeah. oh this isn't about me bringing things to kids who don't have them right you know it's about me finding assets in kids and and having them. Just letting know, them, letting yeah. letting them kind of bust yeah. it out, and that art can be a uh, you know can be a channel for that. And yeah. it was it was pretty. It was definitely kind of like you know kind of that whole you know, getting out of that missionary model of that work, but into like a real I mean I guess like empowerment model. Is, right. Is, so yeah, it's um, it's it's a great story to hear. And it, you know, I had a very similar thing happen to me when I was at a similar stage in my career that I was uh, I was in grad school and I was working in. Um, youth organizations, but like administrative kind of positions, communications positions, and I wanted to work directly with young people. 
And I, uh, I went to this organization, and I, well, actually, I, I read Jeff Canada's book, his first book, Fist, Stick, Knife, Gun, and it was so impressed me. I wanted to work at that organization, so I, I wrote to them and said, you know, I do media literacy stuff because I'd been into that, and, you know, maybe I could do something, you know, just volunteer. So he sent me to their media program, and I went and spent a day there, and it was great. They were making uh, videos, you know, young people were making videos, young people were making um, newspapers, there was, like, all youth-produced stuff, but... Um, I had had it in my head that I was going to, I wanted to work at a, at a youth leadership program. And I guess I had some vision in my head of what that was supposed to look like. And I went there and they were just making stuff. And I was going to go and teach them about media literacy and teach them how to be critical, critical thinkers of the media that's being force fed them through this great corporate machine. And, and uh, a couple days after I had had been at the program, I talked to the program director, and she said, well, what do you think? Do you want to make this a regular thing? Because, you know, she wasn't just looking for volunteers once in a while. She was looking for people who would come regularly, like you're talking about here. And I said, you know, it's really great what you guys are doing, but I really wanted to work in a youth leadership program. And, I mean, just exactly the way you told the story, I just, I just, there was just this pause, and she said, that's what we are. And I just said, I was immediately sort of embarrassed and said, oh, uh, uh, okay. And, you know, I couldn't even respond really, but got off the phone and I ended up going back and then I ended up volunteering there regularly and I ended up working there and, you know, it became a real part of who I was. Um, and she became a mentor, but it was like exactly like you just said, a switch flips where you suddenly realize that it's not about you bringing something because, you know, you're, you know, whatever you were, 20 or whatever, you know, about the same age that I was. Do you really have that much to enlighten these young people with? That you know they're a few years younger than you, and but it's really about coming in and being part of this group and helping them open up their their thinking. My question um, is: How do you make this fit in the current culture of education and youth development? Well, we are seeing that people are using some similar language. Um, there's a lot of new research around like youth voice and choice or you know youth leadership directing your own learning or i don't you know just what yeah. engagement really looks like mm-hmm. and so um it's not i think like we've been around for 15 years right and when we first started we were using this stuff too artist mentors and people were like what you know like do they have a teaching degree like what are mm-hmm. you talking about but now artist mentor is a term we hear all the time and so what's interesting is like um it's promising like so even with this recent internal evaluation we did with the 21st century learning community grant um when we looked at like the headers you know engagement and leadership or um you know belonging or whatever we're like oh my god we're gonna ace this thing we got this Mm. you know but then when we flesh it out through the rest of the tool um we weren't our scores or whatever wasn't turning out so great and i'm like wait how are we not you know like there's things we might not be great at but like um the language um i thought was so in line with our values or missions or whatever but i think what is happening is um they're like used to a more traditional learning space, but using the same language that we're using. But then when you come into our space and try to see the same words, it just, you have to look for it differently. So, I mean, the people we're working with were flexible and great and everything, but um, Jason had this great analogy for it, the baseball game. Do yeah. you want to, can no, you? you can. Well, I don't, I don't even <laughs> watch sports, so I've never even seen a baseball game. So. Um. Yeah, so I, I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big sports fan, um, uh, and uh, and I use sports analogies a lot, especially for actually. And so with 
you know, New Urban Arts is like baseball. It's like watching a baseball game um, as opposed to like watching a, a basketball game. You know, basketball, like, you know, there's, a, you know, there's always something happening. You know, every mm-hmm. kind of, they're running up and down the court. They're scoring every few minutes. There's always, like, there's a play being run that's going to lead to something every, whatever, 30 seconds. Um, you know, baseball, you know, whole innings could go by. And, and you, you know, if you had no idea what the sport was, you'd be like, what, what am I watching? Mm-hmm. Um, and then for bursts of activity. And, you know, it's kind of like this game of languishing. And I think that's, you know, that's what this, our studio is designed to give young people that kind of space. You know, over the course of a year or a course of a few months, you know, there'll be tangible instruction happening and there'll be reflection. But, you know, whole days can go by where it's just kids working mm-hmm. or just kids talking or just kids like reading or just kids socializing. Um, you know, I think back to like what my own studio art education was like at RISD. You know, it got to the point by my second or third year where um, our classroom hours that we were assigned were actually just going to studio. And then the professor would just kind of come around and talk to us, you know, for like an hour or you know, 15 minutes. You wouldn't see any instruction if you use that quality assessment tool on my own like undergraduate art education we would get like you know we'd get terrible grades for that hour that you visited so much in the the larger field of education when people defend the arts and investment in arts education it's usually as a means to another end like it's usually about like you know our you know arts are important for helping to learn spatial uh what do you call it spatial relationships and um, you know, that you can use, you know, you hear about using um, hip-hop to teach math and using <laughs> this to do that, you know. It's always about using the arts to do something. And what you're talking about here is about the, the practice itself having, being its own end goal and having its own value. Um, and I think that's a, it's a tough case to make in today's culture. Yeah, it's 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 really hard. I'm I'm gonna make a plug. So um, uh, Americans for the Arts is doing a, a blog post series, or has done, a, depending on when this podcast airs, um, on social impact on the arts and evaluation. And they asked a bunch of interesting folks to write about exactly this question: like, how do you justify the arts? How do you convince people that? How do you generate valid evidence that the arts is having some kind of social impact? And there's a lot of really interesting, you know, folks talking about it, and a lot of interesting dimensions of it. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely the whole instrumental benefit is a, is a, is a, I think, it, you know, it's a tough one, you know, like, oh, you know, like you play violin, your chess scores will go up. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no doubt that arts participation will probably improve your engagement with school in general and, you know, some, some kind of way. But if, you know, if you're trying to make the case that it's going to improve test scores, I mean, that... It's, it's, that's, you know, that's really troublesome. And, and then, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's the whole economic you know, argument too, that, you know, arts are creative economy and, you know, arts equals jobs. And, you know, I, I do, you know, the arts industry is big and undercounted, but, you know, it's not the most efficient way to grow your economy. Right. You know, I mean, there, there are other reasons to do, to be participating in the arts. But yeah, I mean, we, we as a sector have, have been kind of forced to chase down some kind of not so rational arguments. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's yeah. sad, you know, and then the, how do we talk about what's, what's actually really meaningful as opposed to just trying to chase like a, you know, this outcome or that outcome or, you know, some tangential links. Um, yeah. You work uh, mostly or exclusively with high school students here at New Urban Arts. Um, have, you, have you worked with younger kids? Have you thought about working with younger kids? And how do you think this kind of approach can, can look working with younger kids? We've done some programming where we will train high school students to mentor younger students. I think the youngest we've gone is middle school at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't gone younger than that. One of the reasons is I think there's a lot of programming for those ages 
<clears throat> at least in our city, and the high school group is one that has less um, programming that's like something they're into. So we've just been investing in that age group. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been at a lot of, you know, networking meetings or trainings where they say youth leadership is a high school thing. One of the things mm. I find interesting about it is like when you talk about how people are really doing youth leadership or voice and choice with high school students is like it comes down to like they we give them a survey about what classes they want or yeah, I don't know. Right. It just is so um, yeah. not exactly how I imagine like, you know, how much time it really takes to do youth leadership work. I haven't personally worked with this younger group, but I would imagine it's possible because what you're doing is you're not asking for someone's opinion about something, but you're more just asking them to care about something and um, have other people care about it with you. Like the core of what leadership is, it's bringing people together, right? And I think I've seen kindergartners do that, you know, in like their family room. So going back to this uh, quality assessment tool, because <laughs> it's a, this whole experience is an interesting metaphor and it's a jog my thinking. Yeah. So you know they started with this very the high school tool, which was the kind of list of whatever 500 indicators that we had to look for and and actually what they switched to sarah was like the, the kindergarten tool right preschool. the preschool tool so and for, and for you yeah yeah they said you know what uh, we're, this high school tool doesn't is, is, isn't gonna work we're gonna try this we're gonna try this preschool tool and 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 it wasn't and and at first i was like oh my gosh are we that developmentally stunted <laughs> that like we're you know but but then actually what i realized and i think what it was was the space this our studio environment encourages so much more play and so much more exploration and curiosity and and and, ex, and you know inquisitiveness that we're probably more in line with a kindergarten classroom or a preschool classroom in a lot of ways in the experiential learning and the you know mm-hmm. in the kind of independent learning and the guided play so you know purposeful play and then just thinking about this like leadership piece with with young people or with younger kids I, you know i taught elementary school once or for for a year and you know i was i was really got my butt kicked and one of the things i was really interested in was was the talents of my elementary school students that I, I was I was incapable of bringing out as a, as their teacher, you know I saw their ability to draw, I saw their ability to be charismatic, but like you know I could see how they just weren't fitting in the traditional classroom environment, mm-hmm. and and I had this one girl who uh, you know couldn't sit still, couldn't like kind of concentrate on writing, uh, but was you know brilliant runner, could you know write a, you know uh, really great with crafts and you know making making books, and we we fought all the time and. Hmm. Uh, and uh, you know she she hated me so much. I, I really deeply hated me. But I actually don't know don't know if she realized how much I actually admired her. Um, but we would always fight, you know, in our in our in our class. And I remember where I had I had the kids at a circle. You know, I was reading to them at the carpet, and one kid was at the computers, and I was trying to get him to to come to the carpet. I'm like, hey, you know, Brandon, you know, please join us at the at the carpet. It's mm-hmm. it's reading time. Get off the computers. And uh, you know, he said, no. You know, he kept reading at the computers, and 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 uh, we started going back and forth, and then and then this girl who hated me um, stood up in front of the whole class and looks at Brandon and says, "Brandon, don't do what Mr. Yoon tells you to do. You mm. don't get up from that computer. You don't have to listen to him." Mm. And I was so, and then and then I looked at Brandon. And I said, "Brandon, do the right thing." don't listen to her and and this poor kid brandon was just you know had this like you know he looked like he was going to bubble down in tears because he was totally scared of her and totally scared of me yeah <laughs> and didn't know who to listen to and 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 i, I could I, I got into a test of wills with a second grade girl 
to try to influence this kid to get off this computer. And and I think what I you know I was just I, I was so amazed at her. I think leadership ability, her the respect that she had of her classmates, um, her charisma, you know, her ability to kind of defy me as an authority figure, which mm-hmm. actually I really admired, um, just not in that particular moment. <laughs> moment. But it, you know, is it, it was, and I was like, how does this, you know, if I if I knew if I actually knew what I was doing as a teacher, because I was a first year teacher, if I actually knew what I was doing, I could channel this. Hmm. I was talking with my niece recently, and it, what you said kind of reminded me of this conversation. And she was talking about just her school, or, you know, and she's 10 years old and she's in an after school program. And she was saying that, you know, she's getting really bullied bad and picked on. And I was just asking her questions about it. And she was talking about it and saying that her favorite thing to do after school is they have these glitter gel pens, but the after school coordinators have them locked up in a cabinet because they go really fast. And, and my 10 year old niece was saying, well, why would we even have them if we can't use them? Like, isn't that kind of the point? And, um, and then, you know, she's talking about all the discipline and the mean kids in the after school program. And then she started talking about the lunch time and she's part of a committee of kids who are in charge of leading. Um, they have like, uh, door prizes and qu- uh, you know quizzes and Jeopardy games or all these different things that they lead um, during that time. And I was saying, well, do you ever get picked on at lunch? She's like, no. Everyone's so into what we're doing. And um, hmm. and I was like, you know, this is like my job. What you're talking about is setting a learning environment that brings out the best in people. And she was placed in a leadership position in her lunch group, and it just her whole learning experience had shifted. Um, I'm so I'm like in my 30s as a program director, but my first program I ever led was a summer program when I was 10 years old. And it was hmm. in my backyard, mm-hmm. and I had a summer camp of 25 kids. And, wow. you know, yeah. It's so, in some yard. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're little kids. But yeah. um, so I think, yeah, I don't know. When I think of the youth leadership for younger kids, these stories are coming through my head. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, it's, it's good to think about that because I, I agree with you that um, people sort of – put youth leadership in the high school category only. And, um, you know, that's a long time to live without being given any kind of opportunities to make decisions or to be in those positions of leadership and then to be expected to do it when you're at that mm-hmm. age, when you haven't ever had the opportunity to do it before. Obviously, it can, it can happen. It happens, happens all the time in here. Um, but it seems to me, like, why not start so much younger? Why not start when, um, you know, they're starting school for them to be able to direct their own learning to some extent at least. Yeah, and and, and anecdotally the you know the the most successful elementary school teachers I saw were really really conscious of classroom culture. You know, they they're they're you know when their kids came to my class as, you know, the art teacher, I I could tell which teachers had you know, gotten their kids on board onto a shared culture, into a shared community that they were a part of, that they were accountable for, that they felt empowered with and and the bad teachers were the ones that had not, you know, and it was pretty obvious, you know, who had done that and which kids felt like they were part of something and, yeah. and, and were, were engaged as students. And it was pretty, I mean, amazing to see with like first, second, third, fourth graders. So, yeah. Well, Jason and Sarah, I want to thank you so much for being on Please Speak Freely. It's, it's about 2.30 on Friday now and um, some young people are starting to arrive. So I think maybe we'll turn off the microphones and just hang out. <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, this has been fun. Thanks. And uh, we will see each other again in a few months at the the Bridge Conference in Seattle, Washington, um, where New Urban Arts is participating, um, helping us to create an opening plenary session, helping to, um, uh, Sarah, I believe you'll be there with with a young person, young alum of New Urban Arts. Yeah, we're excited. I love Seattle. Yeah, great. 
And uh, we'll be doing a panel, a live recording of Please Speak Freely as a panel of um, of yourself and colleagues from around the country who represent programs with the same mentality of really putting young people in the lead. And uh, you'll be representing the, the high school group there, and we'll have other groups representing the middle school and the elementary school level to see how to how we can apply this approach across the board. And if I could just make one one plug before we close, um, encourage anyone listening to visit our website, uh, newurbanarts.org. Um, got a lot of information, documentation, and links to a lot of uh, teaching resources and stuff that we're trying to make available to the broader community to share our practice. So um, please check us out. Really great, amazing um, books that are produced that really... Um, uh, summarize the, the approach that we've been talking about in a visually beautiful way so that it really expresses it in the same way as the work is actually done. You know, it's not just about um, all this sort of theoretical talk, but it's about making something that feels cool in your hands and looks beautiful, um, is beautiful to read. So I, I really love those books, and I'm a real critical consumer of those kinds of things. So I'm glad you mentioned the plug, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at remembering the plugs. You're, uh, you got the ED thing down. <laughs> All right, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.